0: Welcome to the Animation Happy Hour,
1: a podcast where we talk about breaking into the animation industry over a couple of drinks.
2: All opinions and views expressed in this podcast are solely our own and are not representative of the companies for whom we work. My name is Ben. I'm Garrett.
1: And I'm Katie, and we are all character animators working in feature film. So today, we are drinking a Near Clipping Plane, Ooh. which is a drink that makes you ignore everything that comes before it, <laughs> oh. <laughs> and it is made with a very special whiskey, correct? Yeah. Called Uncle,
0: Uncle Nearest 18... Nearest. Nearest. Something 1886. <laughs> There's specific yeah. year. specific year, that I don't <laughs> know. and
1: we can't yeah. take credit for this name. This name comes from one of our very special guests, yeah, yeah. cleverly thought of it.
2: And that's some fun, like Maya extra levels to that joke yes. there. So if you're in the know, you're I am chuckling in to the yourself know. <laughs> you're like you never have
3: before,
1: <laughs> yeah. And this special guest also came up with another drink which we're not drinking but maybe we'll have to try another time called the camera manhattan that's love such a good name line. i love
3: it <laughs> and
1: i love manhattan so yes yeah, days. perfect
0: yeah so we are super excited for today's episode because we are continuing our pipeline series with a day in the life of a layout artist so today we'll be talking all about layout what this job involves how important it is to the animation process what skills you need to get hired, what a layout artist day-to-day is, and much more. So um, we wanted to quickly give a listener shout-out to Ben Santiago, who emailed and requested that we cover this topic. So we're super excited to be able to answer that call today. Um, And honestly, layout is such a super important uh, part of making an animated film, and I, I feel like it's not as well understood as some of the other parts of the process, so we're really excited to take a deep dive with some of the best of the best in the industry.
2: Hey, hey. and with yeah. that, I will cut through all this anticipation and say we have with <laughs> us uh, the most the perfectly matched names, probably the most beautifully complimentary names we've had so far. <laughs> 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 Mr. Rocco Florimonte and Dorian Bustamante. Welcome. So thank you both so much for being here. So I'll, before you give your official intros, I'll just say both Rocco and Dorian uh, currently work in the layout department at Walt Disney Animation Studios. Rocco is the layout lead and camera polisher. More on that later. And Dorian it was a layout supervisor most recently on Encanto. So we thought it would be helpful to have both of them on the podcast to provide their unique perspectives on the job. So with that, we would love to begin with a brief introduction and help our listeners get to know each of you a bit better so we can start with the basic questions here. How did you guys get into layout for animation and what sorts of projects have you worked on
0: so far? Maybe we can start with Rocco.
4: I had uh, a vague schooling initially. I wanted to be a photographer all through high school, so I took a camera with me everywhere I went. And my my second college was for photography. Mm. Um, my first college, I mostly just took dance classes <laughs> Oh my, my second gosh. college was for photography <laughs> and, uh, I took photos for a while and then sort of burnt out on taking photos for other people or mm. other people's ideas mm. of what photos should be. Um, and I realized it was just something I enjoyed doing for myself, but not as part of a formal education or even a job. Sure. Uh, and then I had the opportunity to go to CalArts and study the, in the animation program, mm. Uh, so I decided I should do that. <laughs> and when you sort of take photography and animation and put them together, you kind of end up with layout. Yeah. Cause it is definitely a bit of both.
1: Yeah. It makes sense.
0: Totally.
4: Uh, and, and as far as my career getting here, um, I was lucky enough to graduate from CalArts when... People who know how to use computers were in high demand. I think if I walked up to Disney with the skill I had when I left school now, they would laugh and say, come back in 12 (laughs) years (laughs) after you learn to do something. But at the time, uh, anybody who could use a computer in a graphic way was a valuable person to have. Mm -hmm. DreamWorks had just formed, and they were hiring up everybody, and Disney was hiring up everybody everybody they could because CG was just coming up to the front. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What year was that, by the way? That was, I graduated in 98. So Disney was hiring for Dinosaur. Oh, yeah.
1: Was uh, that
0: the first feature, uh, CG that they did? Pretty much, okay,
4: wow. yeah. It was a mix of CG dinosaurs over live-action plates. Mm. So okay. they don't call it a, a real CG animated film, but Got it, it kind of was. Got it. Gotcha. Wow. That's crazy. At That's least super- I don't think they call it a real CG. <laughs> <movie>. <laughs> really cool.
1: So what was the, like... Job that you walked into for your first job at Disney then?
4: It was a workbook. Oh, so workbook is, um, it's a term we still use today in our CG layout process. Uh, At the time, though, on Dinosaur, because it was CG dinosaurs over live action plates, (laughs) uh, workbook was the process where we sort of blocked in the storyboards using CG characters, but we did it on real landscapes. That a survey team had surveyed on wow. location so that we could send our camera data back to Hawaii or wherever they oh, were okay. filming these background plates and they would know where to set their cameras and how oh. to move them to get the background plates that then the animators would animate CG dinosaurs on top of. So it was a really roundabout process. Wow. Jeez. wow. That is amazing. Yeah. yeah. Wow. And a bit of history. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that's right. You're cool. <laughs> wow. <laughs> So. Oh, well, yeah,
3: I
5: guess I could <laughs> go next. Uh, hey, I'm Dorian. Um, uh, as far as the background and stuff that got into, I say when I was a kid, I saw Jurassic Park. And I think, like, a lot of kids, you know, I drew a lot and I wanted to be a you know, 2D animator, you know, do Bugs Bunny or you know Disney stuff or something. So I was, like, obsessed with animation as a kid. But I saw Jurassic Park and then it it was over. Like, that was, like... Cause I'd never seen flesh and blood creatures like go through. So it was more of just yeah. being uh astonished by how it was made. Cause I, I, my brain was going crazy and I was like really, I was, I think 12 at the time. So my parents had to take me. Um, yeah. so I saw that movie like maybe four or five times and, uh, I was really interested in, in CG animation and, Uh, I was probably, yeah, I was 12, I think. Um, And then I was like, okay, I got to figure out what's going on. Um, And then, you know, I'm from Arizona. So there's nothing right it's just a desert with some suburbs and uh (laughs) you know i didn't know about Cineflex or starlog or any of this stuff that's going on i'd go to the libraries they would just look at me like what what are you doing (laughs) and you know they would show me art books but there's no industry books and all that stuff and we didn't have a borders or starbucks or you know that was way before all that stuff Hmm. so then like toy story came out i think it was 95 and i was then i saw like animation using cg and then my mind was blown again. So (laughs) I was like, I got to figure this out. So I basically would spend time kind of researching it as much as I could on my own and trying to find opportunities and stuff like that. And there was nothing, you know, you had a phone book and you had a phone and, you know, you'd go to bookstores. That's about all you had. And Mm. no one in my family is an artist, by the way. So I think my mom always says, like, I think my aunt took a watercoloring class in college. I think it's about as close as we can. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, my dad's an electrician. My mom's she's a teacher, you know, so there's everyone's kind of got, you know, bankers and insurance, just normal jobs. Um, so, yeah, so I was trying to figure that stuff out. And then finally in high school, um, when we were researching colleges, um, uh, I was talking to different universities. And CG was starting to get taught in some of the schools. So. Uh, I went to some of the art schools and they had like, you know, one, com- you know, some of the, sc- like the university had one C- SGI machine for computer animation wow. for the entire oh school. Oh my gosh. So like, there was a list the guys <laughs> told me you had to sign up for and stuff like stuff like, okay, that's going to be hard. And then I went to another school and they're like, oh, well we're better. We have. Five students per machine. You know, and I was like, <laughs> okay, all right, cool. and then I finally found a school that actually had one computer per ma- per student, Ooh. and uh, I was like, okay, so I guess I'm going here. And it kind of lucked out because they were teaching Lightwave, and then they st- they were they just got Maya. Hmm. So yeah. Yeah. as I was learning, and like, so basically, like, I graduated in '99 in May, and by July, I was already. Starting. Mm. Um, And I happened right before I graduated, um, I happened to catch a uh, talk, uh, uh, a Prince of Egypt from a couple artists. Mm. And one of them actually I did work with later at DreamWorks, uh, Sam Mitchlap, really cool guy. Mm. And I saw that, and that was the first time I ever actually met an industry person. And I talked to him and saw his artwork, and I was like, oh, okay, this is starting to make a little bit more sense. So when I started. Uh, the school, they just, they were graphic design. They just started an animation program. So they were probably literally within the second year of doing it. And so I started right away and I just started, you know, just learning and learning. And, you know, like a lot of schools, it was very, we're talking, you know, late 90s. So it was very early on. So, you know, they were basically just taking the Maya book and teaching it you know, and mm-hmm. you would just do the tutorials. So <laughs> then I was like, well, what if I just do all the tutorials and then just use the lab time? And, you know, cause it was like a four day, a week class. And then Friday and Saturday were lab. So I was like, well, why don't I just use that time to do my own stuff, mm-hmm. you know? And mm-hmm. that's where I started kind of learning more. And, you know, I started meeting a lot of people who had similar interests and stuff like that. Um, and then, so I did a short and there was a, a friend of mine who he was a student and became an instructor um, and he was like, he knew a lot, like mm. he was really, really smart guy. And there's some students there who were just like really smart and they ended up kind of working for the school's instructors and to kind of help pay my way. I also started working as a teacher's assistant while mm-hmm. I went to school mm-hmm. and I was, I was hanging around so often students will ask me questions. So then we're <laughs> like, why don't you just be a teacher's assistant, you know? Oh, wow. <laughs> so, which was really good because that kind of got me you know, a, to know people around the school and stuff like that. So mm. when I worked on my short, um, and by that point, like we teamed up and we're like, Hey, let's do a short and see what happens and stuff like that. And I was a, a friend of mine, Nathan. And, uh, we, the, one of the instructor saw it and he goes, Oh, you know, one of the kids here, you know, he went to, uh, Lucasfilm actually like a couple years ago, like a year before. And he goes, we should send it to him and see if they're hiring at ILM. So I was like, great. So we worked on this short <laughs> and we sent it off. And then he's like, no, they're not hiring here. But I think they're hiring at Skywalker Ranch. Um,
3: hey. <laughs> and so
5: it got, like, redirected there. Wow. And then I got a phone call. And then oh, they were wow. like, hey, would you like to come up and, you know, talk to us and stuff like that. So I, I just finished, like, I think I just graduated, like, a few months earlier. But I was still kind of hanging around the school. Um, and then that happened. So wow. I went up to the ranch and that's where I found out about oh, there's an art department here, and they were just finishing uh, episode two, uh, Attack of the Clones, Mm -hmm. and uh, they were editing it, and so they were like, we're taking these deleted scenes and we're putting them on DVD, but we're still, you know, editing right now and figuring out what goes and what stays. So I was hired as assistant animator to kind of help finish those off. And There's a small crew there, and that just kind of snowball because they were like oh we're also doing star wars the third one <laughs> oh, and then yeah. but before that george wants to do a like a special edition of thx and so it was great because like i mean i was 20 right when i was there and by the way like so when in, it's a wacky thing so in the research <laughs> uh uh the only well in high school thank god ilm released uh, a book called into the digital realm
3: mm-hmm.
5: so yeah. i got that on my birthday in high school and I read through it, and it goes through the entire day work process. They talked about working you
3: know, okay, four
5: days yeah. without going home, and you know they talked about how hard it was. Mm-hmm. So I was already prepared that <laughs> this is going to yeah. take over your life once you get into it. And people, <laughs> they work all night, you know, yeah, and they yeah, do models, yeah. and they do this and that. So I read that book, and I, I loved it. I thought it was a great book. Um, mm-hmm. And then I read another book that was about Tim Burton, uh Ooh, and about his mm-hmm. life and then i think i must have read it wrong because he said at 18 he was at disney so i was in my head i was like i'm behind
3: <laughs> oh my god! <gosh. laughs> i'm 20 years
5: old and i'm like i'm missing the boat you know oh so
0: that's such a common thing i feel like for people to compare you know yeah. to other people you're know, like oh they'd had this when they were like a year younger so it's it's relatable <laughs> yeah and, then,
5: and that was one of the only uh books that I read where someone actually talked about being a child and kind of learning the processing. But I, I got to find that book, but I swear he said he was 18 when he started. So okay. my brain was like, well, I'm too old now, you know? <laughs> so wow. I got to the ranch and then we just started working. And like the first, by the second week I I knew like, oh, this is tough, you know, like mm-hmm. it's long hours and I was young. I couldn't, you know, I was not old enough to drink yet, you know, and all that stuff. So, but it was great just being surrounded by everybody. And, yeah. you know, it was one of those things I was supposed to be there for, I think, like four or five months and then up being like, you know, close to like four years.
0: Basically. Wow. 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 Dang. That's crazy. Hearing the story of like how you had only like like five students to a computer back in the day i just think back on my experience and i'm like would i have ever gotten into animation if i had similar constraints like i'd be that seems so limiting you know but it's cool that you like managed to yeah find a well one find a school that was at least one per person but just yeah going through that is fascinating i think but yeah, it's a little bit
5: like research and luck
0: <laughs> you know yeah. yeah totally that's a good i mean
2: we Sorry, we can get into the rest of the episode. (laughs) but We're already getting too chatty. But um, that I love that you just said that because we talk about that all all the time, too, where you kind of you definitely need both. And we always say, Mm -hmm. like, whether your career is just taking off immediately or whether you're really struggling, um, you know, do what you can. But if you're doing great, Mix a little humility in there too, because you're probably just benefiting some from from some very lucky timing. And on, on the reverse side, if you know, things are really tough for you, don't beat yourself up too much too, because it could be the opposite. You just kind of Things aren't working out, so I love that you said that.
1: So then, what um, or when did you transition over to Disney, or were there any steps between? And <laughs>
5: oh, man, okay, so the storied history of Dorian's career. <laughs> yeah, and, and again, this is story. like no one. <laughs> my path is like insane. So, so okay, first job working for George Lucas, right? <laughs> so working with George, and then all of a sudden, um, Spielberg was working on a project. And something happened, I got put on hold, and George went off to go film in Australia. And so we were kind of left at the ranch by ourselves. And but he still had a lot of sequences that need to get done. So Spielberg was like, Well, I'm bored and have none to do. So he came in and we were a small crew went to his house and they were working with them. Oh. <laughs> and then we were working with them on the phone through fax machines. He would fax us stuff. Oh, wow. <laughs> and so we kind of got this relationship and he, he's never Spielberg never did uh previs before. Okay. So he didn't know about it. So yeah. that was his first kind of introduction. So before star Wars ended, he's like, listen, the war of the world's just got greenlit. I need okay. a small crew to come over to Los Angeles to work on it. Um, and he goes, I want to grab the, you know, a, a crew. Uh, so there was like three of us. So we all went down. It was, uh, a soup that, um, actually four of us. I'm sorry. Um, the soup, uh, his leads and then myself. And so we all went down to universal here mm. and, uh, we kind of started working on war of the world. Um, and we were like on loan from Lucasfilm. So, oh, uh, that was the first time. So when we worked with him, it wasn't like, Oh, we'll see you tomorrow. You know? <laughs> and then we go to our office. Like, so he moved his desk in our little area. Uh-huh. And so like, you know, he was literally next to me and we would share <laughs> a phone and, you know, all that stuff. So, uh, you know I was lucky enough to work with him one-on-one for you know four or five months Um, you know every day and he let me borrow his iPod at night <laughs> he, had, he had tons of his soundtracks on his iPod wow. and they had all this music and A I was like dirt oh my on god there. it's look oh. and then like and oh he's like you gosh. can borrow it if you want just bring it in the morning and I was like great you know that's amazing but uh that's amazing. you know just wide-eyed 23 year old kid just like oh it's just this is this is the way it is, I guess. (laughs) And then, so, yeah, so, um, that's what kind of brought me to LA. And he was like one, I remember one morning I, I came in and, and he's like, he's working away and he's like, Oh, you know, I'm thinking about, uh, there's this project I'm working on. And it's like, it's about this, it's these toys called transformers. And I want to do a movie about it and stuff. And he goes, would you be, would you guys be interested in maybe working on it. And I was like, the toy? And I was like, yeah, I remember buying those as a kid and stuff. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so we kind of stayed a little bit to kind of uh help work on that, you know, and kind of before Michael mm-hmm. Bay signed on because he was still finishing other mm-hmm. films. So we kind of did some small pre-production on it. And then Michael Bay was hired and we all got let go. Um <laughs> but uh that kind of justified well moving down here mm-hmm. to Los right, Angeles. Right. And then from there I kind of stayed here and um, just kind of kept working on movies. And, uh, at the time, uh, there was two companies that were formed, uh, Halon, which was my supervisor at the ranch, Dan, and he, he started this company and then third floor started,
3: uh, with Chris. Mm -hmm.
5: So all ranch ex Skywalker ranch people, they started their companies. And so I was working with Halon when it was starting up. And then after a while, I kind of went to third floor and then they were starting up, you know, so, both people that I, you know, really, you know, like and, you know, appreciate. And I've slept on both their couches, you know, Chris and Dan's at some (laughs) point, you know, like we, we all kind of grew up. So, uh, yeah, so I went to third floor and they just started working on a lot of projects and stuff like that. And then, uh, after a while, um, there was an, opening at uh dreamworks so a buddy of mine had a, it was like oh you should come over here and you know try dreamworks and i was like oh animation that's right you know uh <laughs> and but at the time I remember i was at the ranch and someone mentioned dreamworks and they're like oh they won't even look at you unless you oh, got like man. seven years experience <laughs> and i was like oh okay well i gotta i'll apply in seven years you know <laughs> so when i applied i think i just had six years like that's how my brain was, I was like oh they're not gonna take me you know and uh but then, uh, it, you know, they did. So, I, I went to DreamWorks and worked on, Got like, it. Monsters vs. Aliens and stuff. Mm. And then, you know, a lot of the DreamWorks people... And I would jump back from live action, you know, because they had three-year contracts. And once they were over, it's like, mm. oh, Spielberg's working on another movie. So, then i okay, go work yeah. over there and then work on some more films and then jump back when DreamWorks had something. You know, just... Mm. So, it was more of just what interesting projects... And at a certain point, like, a lot of the DreamWorks people went to Disney, you know, because <laughs> it's a small industry. Yeah. So, then I was... Uh, at the time, uh, working, I was working on Endgame, um, so I was, I was helping Soup on Endgame and Infinity War, and um, I was across the street at Marvel, and uh, I ran to Nathan, who was our uh, DP on Encanto, Nathan Warner, mm-hmm. and we're chatting, and then he's like, he's like, "Oh, are you interested on in maybe coming over?" and I was like, "Yeah, of course, you know." And then that's where we started communicating and talking, and uh, then I applied to disney and then they were cool enough to go okay i guess he's okay you know and then nice. i was able to kind of just literally just go across the street and
3: wow. <laughs> work yeah. over there
5: but uh yeah it's a it's a you know wacky path and then you know i was on avatar for a bit and we we're with jj for a bit so it's like
1: wow yeah
5: it's 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 well, weird and you just walk it's not something that you consciously go one day i'm gonna work for james cameron <laughs> <laughs> it's just like you get a phone call and it's networking right. and you oh. know, it just, hap- you know, you work long enough, people like you, and you get a phone call and, you know, people, oh, I know this guy, I worked with them on War of the Worlds. You should come over to Avatar, you know, stuff like that. So it kind of just goes
0: around. Is yeah, it common so. for layout artists to kind of, and we, we'll probably get into this once we get into the questions, but is it common for layout artists to go between animation and live action like and Switch so often, or is that? Uh,
5: yeah. I, th- I think now more mm. than it was before um and animation it's the the thing with layout and animation animation lets you plan your life because Mm. the films take longer to make Mm. it's all at one place if you're lucky Mm. you know like dreamworks and and disney they from the script to the final 3d color correction is all done in-house which is great um Mm -hmm. but in live action it's always a fire so, you know, they <laughs> but they have deadlines. There's a different situation. You might need to, okay. oh, you know what? We're doing this in London. We're doing this mm. in Vancouver, you know, and then next thing you know, I'm five months in Vancouver, you know. Gotcha. So gotcha. it does, you jump around a lot more and uh, it's a little more kind of, I guess, stressful just because time is money, you know. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. when you're on a set, there's 100 people or 50 people. It's very expensive, so they want to get things done, and answer's uh, solved quickly. Um, but in animation, it's a little bit of a, a slower pace. So I, some people just go, I don't want to deal with live <laughs> action and once they get into animation. Oh, and yeah. it's very understandable that once they go, they don't want to go back. Um, but if you're like me, and you're just like, well, I'm just looking for something interesting, then mm. the transition mm. isn't really too different if you're able to adjust.
0: super cool yeah
1: that's super super valuable for our listeners to hear is yeah just that journey and path around and i do want to backtrack and and revisit um your background as well rocco and see like after dinosaur have have you been at disney since then or where have you moved around a bit and
4: (laughs) yeah i um i moved around a lot and i think it was Mm -hmm. a similar times um But Dinosaur was not my first job out of school. It was actually my Mm. second. So I started Mm -hmm. off doing match moving uh, for Babe, Ping in the City. Mm. And for those who don't know what match moving is, that's basically looking at live action film plates and trying to align a virtual camera up with where the real camera was. Hopefully you've got data telling you where to put it.
3: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
4: And then in the case of a talking animal film, matching a CG model of
3: gotcha. a pig mm. yeah. to wow.
4: the live-action image of the pig so that the textures can be mapped onto the onto the model and Makes animators sense. can animate it. So that was my first job out of the gate. Uh, and that came about mostly because a lot of my graduating class went to Rhythm and Hues. Mm. Mm-hmm. And this probably will come up when we talk about the value of going to school. <laughs> but uh, most of the jobs I got started off with somebody that I went to school with. Oh. So. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, or built off of the previous job, as you were sort of saying.
3: Mm. Sure. Mm-hmm.
4: Yeah, um, so that was the first job. Then Dinosaur. And after Dinosaur, I was let go. I usually say fired, but that's probably mean to say because you know, <laughs> they just let me go. Uh, and I wandered around. I did another talking animal film or two. I worked at Rhythm and Hughes and Sony. Uh, I did a previs film with Chris and when we say Chris that's Chris Edwards, uh one of the mm-hmm. founders of the mm-hmm. third floor. Mm. Yes. Um because he and I had worked on Dinosaur together. Oh, okay. Gotcha. That's where he and I met um Treasure Planet at Disney. Love that movie. Wildlife. I just watched it last night <laughs> for the second time ever. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh, really? Yeah. I, I was talking uh with Roy, the producer of it the other day and we we're talking about well how long it has been since Treasure Planet and he said, "You know, it's it's a pretty good film, and I said, "Really?" Because <laughs> I don't remember that. But but I watched it last night, and did you have a better? I had a much better experience <laughs> second time around. You needed some time. And, yeah, I just it. had to get yeah. further away from it. Yeah. Um, so, Treasure Planet was a project I was on just for uh, a few months because I, my time at Disney for that period was split between that and Wildlife, okay, uh, which was a film that didn't make it to the theaters. Uh, and I was let go, and I came back to Disney to do what would be considered a uh, a creative legacy project. But it was Mickey's PhilharMagic, oh, yeah. the ride wow. at uh, Walt Disney World. We did the IMAX projections for that. Yeah. Um, nice. And then I was let go again, and my fourth time back at Disney was for Meet the Robinsons. Mm. Mm. And after that, I managed to get the stick. they have not fired me lately. (laughs) Nice. Uh, But in the middle of that was uh, visual effects, uh, previs, talking animal films, both in animation and in match moving. Mm. In fact, I think on Stuart Little 2, I was working at Sony uh, doing talking cats. And I think they just had more people than they had work. Mm. So they let me go, and I'm pretty certain... I left Sony and went over to Rhythm and Hughes and worked on the same movie.
3: Oh my god! Doing
4: the same thing.
3: I'm, um, I'm
4: not sure. I have that feeling. Oh my memory is very, very poor as to what my actual work career was though, <laughs> For sure. better, for worse.
0: It's, it's yeah. cool that you like talked about you know getting let go and stuff because I feel like that is something we talk about. That it's a very regular part of the industry. It's yeah. not like a weird thing that, mm-hmm. especially in like our creative field, it's just when a job ends, you get let go, then you find a new job. I mean. I don't know. We talk
4: about that, right? Yeah. Yeah. Right? <laughs> I think we that up. It's an important thing it. to say, uh, especially, you know, there've been artists at Disney who've come and gone a couple of times. And I think once you get to Disney, if you are the sort of person that enjoys the atmosphere that Disney provides for you, you just don't want to go. And you are, you found all these wonderful people who are so creative to surround you and every moment you're there, you're just sucking knowledge off of people <laughs> and getting better at your craft and making hopefully great content and enjoying your job. And, and when you have to go, it, it can really, it's, it's like having your dream snatched away. Mm. Yeah. But my dream was snatched away three times, mm. you yeah. know, and I came back to it.
1: Yeah.
2: So awesome. That's, that's yeah. so valuable to hear because it's mm-hmm. so easy to, uh, it is a little unique to animation for sure, or, or at least the entertainment industry. And it's so easy to take it ultra personally and be like, okay, well then I'm never working there again and F that place. And, you know, you just you <laughs> certainly understand those feelings, you know, but uh, you just, you know, tell yourself it's, it's not just you, you know, it's yeah. we have, you know, right here sitting with us two people who have, basically risen to the top of this craft and they've dealt with it. So, so don't worry. It, it is very much the norm and, uh, yeah, don't be too
5: hard on yourself. Yeah. Yeah, I think one, one of the things that always helped me was, uh, I always felt like the kid who snuck into the house, you know, not supposed <laughs> to be there. So and it, you know, I was never, if, if it did, I was always prepared mentally, like mm. for it to end every you know, to this day, you know, in the back of my head, like, they're going to find out. And I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> I just like, I just came up with that for, you know, just, you know, and they're going to kick, you know, like that's always <laughs> yeah. in the back of my head. So Age
1: old imposter syndrome. <laughs>
5: yeah. Yeah. And yeah. when I was at Lucasfilm, I'd hear a lot of the stuff from ILM when, cause at that time uh when CG took over, a lot of the optical people got let go. So they went from CG to our optics to CG. Mm. And I heard the stories of, you know, From people at ILM who've been there for a long time or just like, you know, they didn't, you know, they said opticals aren't going away, that they refuse to touch computers. So, now they're not here. What is
0: optical? Sorry. uh,
5: uh, Optical, uh, uh, it's back of the old traditional techniques uh, Mm, for special effects. So, optical printing and, you know, uh, models and all that, you know, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. um, And I think they created the optical... Uh, something. I saw the machine there, but, that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it was back when you know it wasn't a computer. You know, ghost lens flare and Ghostbusters. You know, it was uh, you know, a hand drawn cell that was kind of in, and gotcha. it was
3: yeah, gotcha. You
5: yep. know, they they made uh, what do they call it? Um, when they'd have blue screen, it was like a chemical to take away the mat. You know, mm. the blue mat, not this. So it was all before computers. Got it, got it. Gotcha. And uh, they're always kind of telling me, like, just always just adapt with what you have, and you know be prepared. Always be prepared, you know. And one of the storyboard guys, he's not at Pixar, but he gave me some really good advice and uh, he was like, "Yo, you know, treat every week like your last week and always do your best and when you get the axe, you're not going to be you know, depressed about it or anything." Mm-hmm. And he goes, "Yeah. It's you know you did your best and if every week you think it's your last week, then, you know, it, mentally you're always be prepared in case something happens. So don't get too comfortable and Don't worry. Things always pick up, you know.
0: It's great. It's a tip jar right there. Yes. We don't even need to ask you guys (laughs) for the tip jar.
1: Thank you both so much for joining us today and sharing all of that awesome information about your backgrounds. So moving forward for everybody listening, in this episode, we're going to have Rocco and Dorian walk us through what a typical day at work entails for each of them. And then we will ask them a series of questions that were submitted by our lovely listeners. Thank you, listeners. And hopefully by the end of this, you'll get a much better understanding of what being a layout artist is like. So to begin, we will start with the super, super basic question. Explain like I'm five, what is a layout artist? And I think it would also be super valuable to, if, if there is a distinction between kind of the live action previs world and layout um, within animation to also describe the differences there, if, if you don't mind.
4: <laughs> sure. So I'll start with uh, talking about what a layout artist is and probably starting with what is layout. Yeah. Um, and uh, just to be fair, most of my layout experience comes at Disney animation. So other studios may differ, mm-hmm. but, uh, at Disney layout is the, it, it's many things. It's the first digital three-dimensional representation of the film.
3: Mm-hmm.
4: Uh, so prior to layout, the film is in storyboards. It's cut together by editorial, but it's just storyboards. When it gets to layout, we start assembling the 3D assets and putting them in sets and throwing cameras on them. And once we do that, it becomes the blocking pass and staging pass, which plans out sort of the rough movement of the sequence, where the characters will be, what they'll be doing to a certain extent, uh, where it will take place, the composition of that photographic frame. Um, and... What lenses will be, we, well, all the cinematographical properties related to the camera.
1: Right. Not
4: so much the lighting, but the camera portion. hmm That's gotcha. um, And it's also kind of setting the stage, as you all know, for the animators to <laughs> animate upon. Um, when I describe my job or the layout process to people who don't necessarily understand animation, I talk about it in terms of a live-action film Okay. which I think people can imagine where there's an actor on stage
3: mm-hmm.
4: or on set and there's a camera and the actor yeah. acts and the camera points.
3: Mm-hmm.
4: It's been planned out in advance, but we sort of do that backwards in animation. We have to yeah. figure out where the cam- where the actors are going to be when they eventually show up. You guys, <laughs> when you show up, we got to figure out where you are gonna, going to be. And layout is the part where we do that. I feel like this is a horrible answer. I might want to start yeah. all over again. Oh, really? No. You, yeah. you can you if can. you want. But I mean, what, what <laughs> if I, I'm going to ask Dorian. Right. Dorian, where should I have stopped? <laughs> where did I go off the rails?
5: Uh, no, I I think it's good. It, it's uh, it's it is a it's a tough nut to crack because <laughs> you know it is kind of pre planning and figuring out the blueprint. So that, you know, down the road, the pipeline will actually have somewhere to start because it is like, it is blocking cameras and it is blocking characters and stuff like that to help the animators figure out stuff. But also too, it's also giving information to environments, art direction. They can do paint overs now. So it's mm-hmm. the first visual stab, you know, at 3d with real assets, real characters, real cameras and all that stuff. And that does help because, you know, when you have storyboards, a lot of times, They're doing storyboards. They don't even have sets. They don't even, you know, they might have a character design. They might have one piece of concept art. But, you know, the scene that we're doing takes place in an area that they didn't do concept art for. Or Mm -hmm. they're still working on it. So we're kind of in there also taking a stab at the 3D space to give information to everyone else as far as like, oh, you know, you're making a cave. Awesome. But we're only going to be focusing on this little part of the Mm. cave, you know, so you don't need to model the rest of it, you know just focus on this section yeah. and so that they automatically know, Oh, they're shooting here, here and here. So let's help them and provide that information in those areas and high res, those informa- the mm. details as mm-hmm. well. Um, and then, you know, I, the other thing is like the rhythm of it. There's a, a when it gets an editorial, um, you know, I always call it the video game version of the movie because mm. it's also, you know, Not pretty, it's very grayscale, maybe some lights or something, but it's uh, a rough representation of the flow of how the shots are going to do. Because, like each shot, when it's cut together, you know, we have this thing, and you know, you've mentioned it a lot of times where it it might not flow right from shot to shot. So Mm -hmm. it's not just the staging of the characters, but it's also the flow of how each shot is going to go into the next shot and the next shot. Sure. So it's also the sequence of, you know, should that feel. How do we make it feel exciting? How do we make it feel sad? You Mm -hmm. know, and that determines composition, camera, camera shake, uh, lenses, uh, and stuff like that. So it's you know taking the first stab at nailing a lot of questions early on to feed the pipeline down the road when Mm -hmm. they make it really nice. (laughs) You know,
0: yeah, it'll be helpful too. I think in our our show notes we'll definitely have like um maybe like a reel or something where it literally shows like okay this is storyboards this is layout this is oh, that'd be cool like you know lighting animation just you know we'll probably put that in there just to be like yeah just to see it but i think you guys did a
4: personally did a great job explaining it, it. it it's funny talking about it um with Dorian's assist it's there are a lot of things that are in layout that a lot of things that layout does that are not what you think of as the cinematography of the film and mm-hmm. we do think of ourselves as cinematographers, I hope. I certainly do to a certain <laughs> extent. Minus, of course, the lights, because that is the elephant in the room of layout, is that we don't do the lighting part of cinematography. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but there is just so much else to talk about mm-hmm. uh, that is informing editorial of the timing of an actual 3D world. Yeah. A character can walk across a room in two boards if you have four <laughs> But it takes a lot longer you know, <laughs> when that character actually has to move at sublight speed. Um,
3: <laughs> it's yep.
4: sub-light speed. so we, yeah, we are informing editorial or helping editorial find the timing of of a shot and obviously changes in animation sometimes, but it gets us one step closer. Mm-hmm. It's that layering of more information. The world is real. It's not just a, a hand drawn image of what the world might be. Mm-hmm. It is a three D volume. Um, the sets, though they may be scout sets that we're just using to flesh things out, mm. they are informing the modeling department, as you say, Dorian. Um, yeah, there is a lot to it that isn't summed up by the word cinematographer. And yet I feel like that is the core
3: mm.
4: of us as a department, as we're a department of cinematographers that just also happen to be generalists often in many aspects. And provide a lot of information to lots of other departments mm-hmm. to help them take the film to the next step.
1: Yeah,
5: that's actually, that's a, that's a good transition into live action. <laughs> uh, hey, hey, previs as well. Hey, go for it. It's, <laughs> it's very similar. So uh, early on, when previs was getting started in the industry and stuff like that, um, you know, live action previs is basically the same thing. If we're lucky, you know, if we have storyboards. Great, but sometimes they don't. And it's not because mm-hmm. the storyboard artist doesn't want to do them or they don't have a storyboard artist. It's just because he's working on a sequence and he literally doesn't have time to do it. Or, mm. you know, if we're lucky enough to get storyboards, then we can kind of do the same process of animation of going to lay, you know, uh, going to previs, which is basically figuring it out, putting in the correct lenses, putting in all that good stuff. And, uh, that helps live action, um, figure stuff out because now, you know, we, measured the sets that they're going to be shooting on so we have that information sometimes i know like at marvel they do lighter scans of everything so wherever the stages and the sets are built we can take those and drop it into the cg environment that's going to be expanded so Mm. we have at least some of the data of you know the big thing in live action is we're limited the physical sets so Mm -hmm. when you're doing camera moves and stuff like that you know uh that has to be set up and created. So if mm-hmm. the camera can't go in between you know, two consoles on Star Trek when they're all in the bridge, then the camera can't go there. Mm. So you have to be kind of aware of making things a little more realistic because a guy actually physically has to do it. Um, and one of the interesting things, when I f- first came uh, to L.A. and I was on War of the Worlds, um, I remember doing – for first sequence. And then like a month later I was in a room and it was like, you know, the head of every department of ILM and the producers and then, you know, and they were just breaking down the previs because now they were like, okay, there's a boat here. Okay. Which location are we shooting at? Okay. And then they were automatically getting bids. So ILM was like, that's going to be too expensive to do. We could do mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. And they were shot by shot, just going through and getting a bidding process of how much of will cost, where they could shoot it and doing. So it was kind of helping them plan, you know, stuff gotcha. out. So that's kind of on the live action end of it um, for previs. And that's before they start shooting. So that gives them some information. Mm-hmm. So then there's a process after they start shooting, which is post Oh, okay. And post is kind of like final layout, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. We'll, Corey will explain shortly. Uh, <laughs> but uh, uh, post is basically like, okay, we've shot. The elements and we, there's a green screen there and they're standing on dirt cool but that's supposed to be a, a, a planet back there mm. and you know we have a character that is kind of represented with the tennis ball here that's supposed to be the hulk you know or something <laughs> so now the editor needs help cutting it together because he's just having a person standing in the middle of a green screen with a tennis ball mm. Mm. so mm-hmm. then postvis comes in and goes okay well let's we'll put in the hulk okay and mm-hmm. we'll put in the planet back there. And, you know, they start tracking the shots, replacing the green screen and actually taking the rough edit and actually replacing it with the elements so that the editor has something to uh, cut with. That's not, you know, that wasn't there before. So, and then the same process happens afterwards where now the vendors who have to do the final shots get, once the shots are approved and the directors love it, they send it to whoever's going to do the final shots now. So okay. now they have something to go, oh, okay, okay, so that's where the guy's going to be standing, and okay, so the Hulk's CG is going to be in four of these shots, not mm. ten, so that's mm. going to cost this much money. So now they start doing the final breakdown of, the cost of the final effects now. Huh. And that helps them. And at least they have a temp edit so they can see where the CG character enters and where he exits. And they have a blueprint for that as well. But with the final plates and the final cameras and stuff like that. Got it.
3: Wow. You know,
0: for like people who don't understand, previs stands for pre-visualization and post Viz stands for post visual- Correct. visualization okay yeah Just and previs it's
5: wacky cuz they spell it with an s or a z depending on <laughs> no, really. and i'm not sure where that started from but it's stuck around for the longest time
0: <laughs>
1: yeah. nice yeah wow yeah i've never heard of postvis and i feel like i've been like in in a cave somewhere cuz it totally makes sense that that would be part of the process <laughs> yeah.
5: yeah and postvis it was kind of new i know mm. like on war of the worlds we started doing a little bit of it mm-hmm. and after i was i went to dreamworks and came back it it just every time i come back to live action things just you know previous kind of just kept getting bigger yeah because in the end it does save them money when you got a, a, a team of 10 people mm-hmm. doing stuff without any of the actors and you know building the world for you and figuring out all the angles and all that stuff like that and um post really exploded because once they found out, oh, this actually helps plan out the budget and the visual mm-hmm. effects and, you know, they'll do complete sequences and then end up cutting them out because they don't work for the story. Well, uh, good okay. thing it didn't go to final, you know. Yeah. yeah. So all that was huh. figured out in the postvis stage, you know. So just like. Super interesting. And, then, you know, one thing we forgot to mention in, in pre or layout, um, we do a lot of passes of this. Mm-hmm. So the storyboard does Prob, you know, they do a lot of boards before we get it. And then so once we get it, then we'll do our pass. And sometimes, you know, we get it done in a couple passes and other times might take five to ten passes
3: mm-hmm.
5: of doing it to make sure we got the right shot angle or, or that it's got the right feel and stuff like that. So um there it's not. Uh, you have to be aware that whatever you're working on might get thrown away or redone and, and you can't hold it too close to you because that's kind of the job of uh, what we're there for,
4: basically. Wow. That's absolutely true. And the way we make movies, uh, it's not as though the entire story is written and then the entire yeah. film's boarded and then it's all edited together. Right. And <laughs> then it's given to us to start. Yeah they figure out an outline, they board some sequences, they edit them together. They might not have Act 3 yet, but we got to yeah. get something. <laughs> They'll give us a sequence and we'll start working on it. But because the story is so in flux, even if you do that sequence perfectly and everybody loves it, the story may be changing again. Right. And the closer yeah. you are to the front of the pipeline, layout being pretty close to the front, the more likely you are going to have to except that things are changing underneath you and
5: mm-hmm. the
4: concepts that you've sorted out for your sequence may not really matter anymore yeah. or may be totally different. Mm.
5: No, for sure. And I know in, uh, you know, animation there, they have board artists and, you know, uh, luckily the directors there. So everyone's kind of, you know, sometimes you'll be doing layout and all of a sudden you start getting new boards, you know, for
3: <laughs> the end section because <laughs> they figured it out, Exciting.
5: but they're able to go in and kind of like help, you know, buffer that, change in there on the Mm -hmm. spot, um, which compared to live action doesn't really happen all the time. So, you know, live action, I say it's, my experience has been 50, 50. Mm -hmm. So sometimes Mm -hmm. you have boards, sometimes you don't. And, Mm -hmm. you know, sometimes Mm -hmm. it's just brainstorming stuff in 3d and shots. And when there is a big change like that, then you're kind of just stuck there and having to figure it out with the director, you know,
2: so our next question, is, we would like to know. Uh, this is the heart of our day in the life series. <laughs> um, so tell us, what does your average day look like? And uh, you know, feel free to include. Does this vary depending on the project or position? VFX versus animation, etc. I'm sure it does. But yeah, I think <laughs> we're starting with Dorian.
5: Uh, so the average day. So I'll just go from scratch. So cool. you know, you just got at your station, and we get a kickoff. So we'll get a sequence. It's all boards, and. Well, this is Disney animation, by the way. And so uh, we'll get a kickoff. They'll show the reel of the sequence and boards. The director will give his feedback on notes and what he's thinking and stuff Mm -hmm. like that. Um, And then, you know, anyone who's assigned to that section, you know, we'll all be kind of sitting in the room and uh, asking our questions as far as like, oh, what do you mean by that part there? You know, and so getting all these uh, details to help us work. Um, And so once it's handed over and we're all satisfied with no questions and we're good to go uh then you kind of break out the sequence to different artists so you take the first half i'll take the middle someone else take the beginning or the end uh and then from there you kind of look at your section and in some cases the sequences are so small a whole person can take it because it's very simple it's a dialogue scene or you know um, it's, and it also depends, I have to say, uh, how complex the sequence is. Cause if it's a big actiony yeah. sequence, those take a little longer. So you might mm-hmm. want more people to work on it. Um, and so once you have your section, then you kind of sit there and you look at it and you've got the boards and now you're translating the boards into 3d and mm-hmm. kind of like Corey was saying earlier, you know, sometimes you have characters that are drawn that are actually very different. Um, there's one time I was on uh, Kung Fu Panda, like Poe is huge and his dad is a duck, it's weird. <laughs> but they would always draw the boards with them talking to each other oh, like does. this, you know, oh, yeah. so they were side by like the, as yeah. if they were the same height, you know? Um, like, and
0: how do I do this? <laughs> yeah. So you're
5: like, okay, all right. So that's where the, the problem solving comes in and you're like, okay, all right, well, they're different heights. Is there a box I can take to have them stand on a box or, you know, and start doing that. And sometimes we'll tackle those questions, uh, on the turnover because immediately, you know, we've been doing it for a while. We can tell right away, like, Oh, that might be different. So is it okay if we do this? Maybe we go a little wider to to do this and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Um, and so we start kind of blocking out the shots. Um, and then in that process, you also kind of start finding the flow of the shots, uh, how they cut together, eye lines, all okay. that good stuff. Yeah, and cause the and that's where you, the film kind of emphasis comes in because you understand like the one eighty rule as far as like how not to cut so it's uncomfortable to the eye because I think there's this subconscious thing when you watch enough films, even you know if you've never, if you don't know anything about movies, you still kind of understand the language of film because we all grew up on it and that's one thing we're always trying to be conscious of as we work is to not make things look uncomfortable and I know like Mm -hmm. we've been in situations where you know we're looking at a sequence and then you know someone just says I don't know something just doesn't feel right you know like and and that's such a hard thing to explain (laughs) because it's a subconscious thing that you're trying to put into words of Everything you did was correct in film language, but mm. it doesn't work. Mm. It's, it's sticking out and it's, you know, and oh. it's causing an issue. And a lot of times you'll find out it might be because the lens you used before was the same lens. So you did mm. two 50 millimeter lenses back to back, but, or the shot that comes after is actually the same composition as the shot that you put before. So that stands out. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of little things like that that happen. And that's part of the process of going through the shots and, Mm -hmm. you know, over and over and showing it and making sure it's all flowing nicely. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's kind of, you know, the bulk of it for composition and cameras, um, what we're kind of focusing on. And then there's the rhythm of the shot. How fast is the shot? Is it a quick shot? Is it a slow shot? You know, Mm
3: -hmm.
5: um, like Corey was saying earlier, you know, they drew two frames of him exiting the room, but you know it's going to take a lot longer than that, you know, and how can we do that, but at the same time keep the same rhythm that the boards had of the energy of the shot, but then giving it a real world, you know, physics to it and how much can we cheat actually Mm -hmm. that, you know, once the animators get it, you know, they're so good in two frames, they can get it, you know, (laughs) Uh, but uh, you know,
4: figuring that out too. Um, There's a backside to this, that situation as well, which is probably there are two boards there because they didn't want to spend any time on that character getting out of the room. So, you know, when you're in layout, you could either walk that character across the room for three or four or 10 seconds, whenever it takes Mm -hmm. Or you could possibly think of a way to be someplace else for a moment and then come back and find that character gotcha. at the yeah. at the door of the room or, or leaving the room or something to, to save the time that yeah. obviously they, they didn't want to spend mm-hmm. uh, up front. And, you know, you just, it's finding those teeth, as you were saying.
5: Yeah. And that's the, the film language part of it, where, mm-hmm. you know, if someone's walking through a room and they're opening a door and they're exiting, like, you know, I, I say, look at, And and again, one of the biggest things in the world is, you know, really study the um, real movies. You know, Mm -hmm. if you look at Born Supremacy or The the Born Identity, any of those movies, um, there's some really clever editing and stuff, but your brain catches it. Mm -hmm. where Mm -hmm. Instead of him, like, you know, opening a door and walking through and then exiting the front, you know… You could follow him, but that's like a video game, right? It's very kind of <laughs> boring and seem But you know, he could just look at a door, cut to him grabbing the door, turning it, and then cut to him just outside exiting. And your right. brain automatically goes, "Oh, okay, he yeah. he exited," but it was done in three shots, and it was literally maybe just a fraction of a second of a you know yeah. door. So there's little cheats like that to help. Um, but so once we kind of get that on board and figure it out then we show it to the director and it's mm-hmm. the first rough pass uh and then the director looks at it and then he gives his input and that's where he can go you know what this is feeling a little too slow or you know what that shot doesn't look right or mm-hmm. he had something different in his mind maybe we should shoot it from another angle mm-hmm. and that's where we start getting the the notes after the first pass mm-hmm. and sometimes they're very small where we stuck with the boards and they were great and he really likes it and you know there wasn't anything big that came up mm-hmm. But other times it was like, okay, they boarded this chase, but um, once we got the real sets, we had to change a few things, and maybe he is happy with it, maybe he's not. So then we start getting notes. Uh, in some cases, um, like on Raya and the Last Dragon, they they had a fight with the daughter and the dad over this pond. Mm-hmm. And when we showed it, I was like, okay, well, here you go. And he was like, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's feeling too short, actually. Mm-hmm. Like, Raya needs to. You know, maybe fight back a little, and you know, we need an extra beat of her actually getting one up on her dad, and mm-hmm. it's not in there. Mm-hmm. Um, so then I was like, okay. So then you go back and you go, okay, how will we do that? And me, I, you know, I'm big action, you know, kung fu guy, like action films. You know, I just watch those like crazy. So I was like, oh, okay. So I, I cut together a little. Uh, sequence with some old Kung Fu movies and stuff. Oh, cool. And then, you know, found, cause every angle has been done mm. every angle. You think if you, but if you're, if you're able to kind of remember it or find a movie that has examples. <laughs> so I cut it together and then showed, uh, I think it was Carlos at the time. And then I, put it right in the spot and so she goes and then you cut to this live action you know like a, <laughs> three different sh- four or five different shots and then I cut back to the animation he goes yeah that works okay so okay. I just okay boom <laughs> so just figuring out stuff like that but that's pretty common that's okay. basically stuff I would do in live action okay. they call it videomatic sometimes uh, um, mm-hmm. and uh, but it's kind of you know stuff that you're you have in your brain but you got to show it it's
0: and like it, mood reference for that moment in particular
5: yeah but you're also getting the camera angle and you're getting the staging so there were some shots uh i knew from like it man i think it man too oh yeah that they were on they were fighting on these tables where it showed their feet a lot and so i remembered that so i went back to the films and i cut that because they were like going back and forth and again being like action movie like i always have a weird tebow (laughs) in my head (laughs) where whenever i work on something like images go in like from different like it just I don't know how, but it just comes up (laughs) and I kind of can go, Oh, okay. This is like, okay. That's like Beetlejuice there. And then this was like, you know, um, you know, it, man, you know, like just Mm -hmm. all these different references just kind of flow in. Um, but that's like problem solving that we do. Uh, and then once you show that and you get all the notes, then, you know, if they're happy with it, then it just goes off into the animation world. and (laughs) You guys have something to kind of work with and, uh, so that's kind of the typical yeah. problem solving. I might have gone a little too long.
4: No, I, I, I want to pop in there and talk about what you talked about with the, uh, the videomatic that you did. Um, that, and I want to point out that that's sort of some Dorian magic. Um, uh, <laughs> Dorian with his extensive pre and live action background and also just the number of years he's been doing this for, he has a lot of, uh, ways of working that maybe are not unique in the world, but they're different from what I'm used to. Mm. Mm. And he has a lot of shorthand. He has that head full of movies. Uh, mm. He also has the movie collection to back it up, I believe.
3: <laughs> um,
4: but but most importantly is that he remembers them and he can draw from them. And putting together a videomatic to show the director was such a great idea because – what he didn't mention is that we were having a morning meeting every, I think every day with Carlos trying to solve this sequence. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. and getting, just getting a director on schedule to show up every time to figure something out mm. is not easy for us to do because mm. they're very busy. Mm. But it didn't take us very many of those mornings before mm. Dorian hammered this together and got these ideas figured out. And between the videomatics that you do, um, and the cube viz, Oh, which is another cool. part of your process oh. that I don't see a lot of people doing in layout. Um, yeah. You, you have some novel ways of working that I think are really strong.
5: Yeah. And then that, that kind of goes, it, every artist is, is different how they work. Mm-hmm. And, you know, again, I'm, I'm, I wasn't, you know, going to school, I was never taught anything. It's just mostly it's, it's learning on uh, the job okay. type of experience. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you're kind of in live action, you're forced to come up with stuff or start like, well, you got to do it in two days. You can't do it in a week. So, okay, well, how can I do it faster? Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, there's a lot of people around you who are used to that and they're very experienced and they go, Oh yeah, just do this and that. And you know, it'll be fine. You know, and you're like, Oh, that was, <laughs> that was handy, you know? <laughs> so, so going into the cube is, uh, that was a technique. Um, as I was saying, cause artists do things differently. Um, some artists can sit there with the final you know, rigs that we have and plan it out and start doing shot by shot with the final assets and it's, mm-hmm. it comes out great. Um, I'm very impatient. So <laughs> if I can't scrub in real time, like my brain goes crazy because I need to see that or I'm just play blasting, you know, trying to get the shot yeah. in real time as much as possible. And sometimes the rigs are too heavy. Sometimes the sets are too heavy. So I always try to turn off as much as I can to try to get that real-time motion. And for me, that helps with getting the shots together. Mm -hmm. So one of the techniques on Avengers, um, on Infinity War, that we started having was the visualization supervisor, Gerardo. Um, He came up with these statue characters, and we've had them before. Uh, We used to call them origami characters because they were literally like Minecraft, like cubes of the characters, but it represented the shape of them. And uh, we used them, you know, it's been a technique around for a while back when before we had final models and all that stuff. And it was basically lightweight. And he actually took those, and there was no rigs, and actually just used them as placements. and to Mm -hmm. plan out the shots. So, you know, instead of having the final character and taking all that time to do it, you could have a low-res version with one click. You could set a key and get the timings of it and all that stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So that kind of stuck with me, and I went even lower than that and said, (laughs) well, why don't I just take a cube, Mm -hmm. put it on the dimensions of the character. If they're big, I'll make it a bigger cube. If it's small, I'll make it a small cube. And uh, assign a different color to them. Yeah. And just use that for blocking out the animation. And that way, you know, in a day I could do at least 10, 15 shots, mm,
3: get mm-hmm. the flow
5: of it going. And I'm not dealing with the rig that I pull and then I wait a few seconds and then it moves, you know, <laughs> know that, and right. stuff because yeah. that stuff <laughs> drives me mad. So yeah. that's my version of kind of, you know, being able to block things out as fast as I can kind of process in my brain to help with that flow. It's like, you know, if I was an artist that would be, you know, holding a pencil to a pad and doing a rough sketch and trying to get it in two seconds. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's kind of a technique that I kind of picked up and kind of just did my own, you know, little thing. But, you know, luckily it's helped speed-wise, and then I go back and I put the characters in because mm-hmm. I have I basically previs the previs, <laughs> uh, you know I, yeah. I did the layout for the layout, <laughs> yeah. and then I have you know my shots there, and I know that the timing's right and it's flowing right, and then I can start using the cubes. I put them on template layer, and then I can know where the staging is, and it's not perfect because again the eye lines are not going to be there. It's just a cube, mm-hmm. you know, and stuff like that. But at least I have a rough idea, and I just need to adjust it. And I know when things get slow, it's correct. I just need yeah. to, you know, just focus on it, um, and that's kind of part of the process. And I've been used. Luckily, when I came here, all the supervisors that we're working with, they're really cool with it. And <laughs> that's stuff that like I just did for myself, mm-hmm. and then I, okay. I would wait until uh, I had the uh, rigs, and then that would show the official version to people and directors and stuff and some directors can see it as cubes mm. and they're cool with it because they understand the rough process but there's other directors especially in live action who aren't used to working with previews. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um they really need to see the real characters and all that stuff on there mm-hmm. um otherwise they start getting confused and they're like why is there no textures and what what is the- this cube <laughs> yeah why am i paying you for cubes you know
0: <laughs>
5: so, but uh yeah it's part of the process
0: wow that's super cool it's yeah. funny, are you guys finding parallels with animation oh, as you hear? Uh, I'm just like, yeah. oh, my gosh. I had a feeling you would. <laughs> yeah, 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 totally. I mean, with everything, too. Like, just
2: sometimes just cutting in, you know, movie clips and stuff, mm-hmm. for reference. So it's all about just getting everybody on the same page mentally as quickly and efficiently yeah. as possible. Um, good Lord. It sounds so hard. <laughs> I
3: mean, not
2: just blowing smoke for you guys, but, like, oh, my gosh, like. I, I think we talk about it all the time. I think Garrett you and I probably had a conversation about it a couple weeks ago where I think I had to do the most minor camera tweak because it was my something stupid I did in animation probably and I was like, this I hate that. This. this is so hard. <laughs> like you can move it anywhere. you can do anything and like the lenses and everything, you know not to mention having to fill in gaps with storyboards that you know things yeah. are cheated versus just making it up by yourself in the 3D environment. Mm-hmm. I mean, really, I think that's why it's so difficult we have a long answer when you say, what's a layout artist? Yeah, Because you do it all. You're a storyboard artist. You're a you know, a cinematographer. Editor. You're an animator. You're an editor. You're <laughs> everything
0: all in one. So, gosh. You're, you're also that's doing it. The one thing that I'm realizing as I listen to you, too, that I didn't really, it occurred to me, is that you're looking at shots over the course of, like, a sequence rather than just looking at one shot. Cause that's yeah. obviously what we do is just like mm-hmm. make the one shot work. And then obviously you look at the shot after and the shot before, but you're like coming up with the whole flow of the sequence, which is yeah. very, that also very challenging yeah. I can imagine. And,
5: and that's part of the process too. Cause you know, if we go back a little bit um, when that sequence was broken out between different artists then we all put our shots together. And so oh, like yeah. now it's going yeah. from, you know, this artist to this artist to this artist. And, you know, may, when you put it together, maybe the bridge that connects them doesn't work. And so now they got to start talking to each other of like, oh, I have her standing over here. And it's like, well, my shot, she's standing over here. You know, so there's that communication as well. Uh, mm. when we start working to make sure that like when they sit down, they're sitting on the correct spot that the next person is going to start there.
0: You
1: know. right right gotcha
4: we've uh, actually sort of had issues with that when working on our technology at the studio because at a certain point the shots don't exist mm. they they are marked as shots in the cut um but until we actually do them in layout they're not really there right um, th- it's weird it's a weird thing to say but um, and working on our tools, uh, we've had software folks say, well, you know, how do you how do you deal with the shot at this stage? Well, we don't have a shot yet. We have a sequence. <laughs> right,
1: yeah. You know? So it, not... we're working
4: on this broader thing. It may be split up between three people, but it's not shots until we make these things.
1: That makes sense. And send yeah. them to
4: editorial and have them reprocess them and set, spit them back out to us. Okay. And that's when they become... Well technically, they're not even shots there in, until we publish them
1: okay yeah. gotcha wow.
4: yeah, but at least they're a more real realistic version of a shot so it's it's weird we do view the sequence as artists, but we also are sort of kept away from shots in the functionality of the pipeline for quite a while
3: huh wow, yeah.
2: so thank you so much, Dorian. um now we're actually going to ask the same question to Rocco and because Rocco is actually holds kind of a strange <laughs> that's the worst way to say it, a unique position uh at at disney right now uh, so I'll, I'll let rocco talk about it
4: <laughs> yeah uh it is it's strange i think if i have a job description at the studio i probably wrote it and i honestly don't remember what it is um but the uh my primary function is the camera polisher
1: okay
4: um And I think I can split my job up into three or four parts, but the camera polish job sort of came about around Tangled, I believe. Uh, And what we realized in Layout is sort of what you were talking about with how you deal with your shot or maybe the shots around it, Mm -hmm. or now animators are lucky to occasionally get seven to 12 shots in a row if there's time and the shots are short enough and there's time.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Big uh, asterisk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
4: But, uh, but often an animator has one shot or two shots, and those shots are part of a sequence. Mm-hmm. So what would occasionally happen is that uh, the animators would just get so focused on their shot and getting the performance in and getting their character viewed in the best light and from the best angle or at the best distance mm-hmm. that fit what they felt they were trying to do, that it sort of broke how the sequence worked.
3: Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm.
4: so the camera polish position was, uh, was kind of created to have a layout artist embedded in the animation dailies process mm-hmm. so that we could just point out if the shots had gone off the rails. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. So- So it was a lot of watching and trying to remember what we had done in the first place.
1: Gotcha. And
4: seeing if it was different. Um, And then it sort of became, from that, it became helping the animators Mm -hmm. with their cameras. Because if if an animator has changed their camera and we need to get it back into something that fits within the sequence, then it's Mm -hmm. often easier just to jump in and make that change and hand it back to the animator than it is to try and talk the animator through (laughs) what the shot should be. Uh, So that added another layer to camera polishing, which sort of became camera fixing. Mm -hmm. Um, And that also developed camera support because often your characters are moving Mm -hmm. off frame or doing things that uh, the animation requires them to do. The story requires them to do from an animation perspective, but we just didn't account for it in the camera when we did the layout because we were guessing based on storyboards and, um, so someone has to repoint that camera at the character. Yeah. And again, if uh, if the camera polisher can do that for the animator, not only do I have a greater familiarity with the camera, perhaps, <laughs> but it also allows the animator to keep working on other shots they may have. Mm-hmm. And that's yeah. a big part of my job is making sure you folks never have to stop working. Sorry.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah. Well, it does it very well. We're, yeah. You right. see the bags <laughs> under our eyes.
4: <laughs> well, I know you have a lot to do and our films are never on ideal schedule. Um, and I think, you know, while having an excuse to go get coffee might be nice, I like to leave that up to you and not force you to go get coffee when you'd rather be working because you've got to leave early to go pick up the kids or, right. you know, live your life the way you want to live it. Uh, I want to make sure the animators can keep working as, as effectively as possible when they want to. So handling the camera and making sure it's working for them and at the same time working for the sequence overall is a primary function of my job. hmm as a as a layout lead, uh, that part of my job sort of starts when the shots when the sequences are still in layout, mm-hmm. and that is uh, it also s- kind of started untangled because the the head of layout on that show, Scott Beatty, and I get along very well. We have very similar uh, ideas of how films should work. We're both, I would hope I don't offend Scott by throwing him in this bucket with me but uh fairly conservative mm-hmm. uh filmmakers and certainly we understand the language of our princess fantasies which the the <laughs> tangled and frozen right. sort of yeah. cinematography style that that really sits well with us and and it has a certain a certain sensibility to it that I don't know. It just, it works well. We work well in that environment and, uh, we see eye to eye when we talk about those things. But, um, working as a layout lead on tangled with, with Scott, I would basically, I I would, I would sit on his couch and complain. That's the best (laughs) way to say
3: it.
4: Uh, I'm going to do a little sidebar here about how art is made and my own philosophy. I feel like there are two types of art. There's additive art and there's subtractive art. Well, yeah, Uh, I would say Dorian is an additive artist. He, he just keeps building on what he's got. Uh, He starts with either JJ Abrams talking him through a story and then builds upon that and keeps building upon that and keeps building upon that until it's beautiful. I work through criticism. <laughs> I subtract things that suck
3: uh, or that bug me. Uh, yeah. So
4: I need, I, I need something there. And uh, in the case of how layout has sort of worked out, um, sometimes I have to look at what's been done, uh, whether it's come from our layout artists and there's that thing we just can't figure out that bugs mm-hmm. us. It's finding that thing sometimes, mm-hmm. or if, all the shots left layout seemingly perfectly, and they come back from editorial feeling weird. Mm. It's m- making sure we smooth that sequence back gotcha. down, yeah. and it's almost like I've become kind of a minority report in that <laughs> process, where yeah. I'm not as deep into it as the artist is. Mm-hmm. So I'm not—I don't understand necessarily why think why choices were made by the artists or how we ended up at certain places. Um, but it allows me to, to walk in with fewer preconceptions, I suppose, and maybe call out question things that maybe were done for a very good reason Mm -hmm. that may not exist in the sequence anymore. Yeah. Or maybe we're done for a very good reason, but that isn't coming through. And it's just because everybody else knew it, that it was working for them. Uh, it's see the bigger picture kind of thing. Maybe. Yeah. I mean, it's, it really is just me sitting on a couch saying, is that a shot? Is that right?
5: Is that right? I, I just want to add real quick, because cause Corey's there from the beginning to to the end. And a lot of times when Corey's in the meetings and stuff, when we're showing sequences or getting feedback, um, he, uh, Rocco has a good way of bringing people back to what was the purpose of this shot? Or Did we lose a story point Mm. or, you know, is there, are we telling the story well enough with what we have here? Do we need to embellish it? Do we need to add more shots or, Mm -hmm. you know, so he has a very good objective opinion on is the sequence is actually working, Mm. you know, and always the case. He's right, you know, and something is missing. Not always the case. (laughs) (laughs) All the cases I've been with you, it's always been like, that's right. You know, I never really thought about that. Or, you know what, we, we were that was supposed to be the purpose of the story, but is that working anymore? You know, is that something that we did and, you know, maybe we need to make it stronger or something. And then that, that's kind of questions we bring up with the director as well, you know? So Mm -hmm. it's, it's a good kind of like, yeah, I mean, he's monitoring it, but he's also asking some very good questions that we should be thinking about. Or sometimes we just start working and forget about it and just do what we're told. And then you start going through it and then you go, oh, you know what, maybe... Maybe we, this could use a little help or something.
4: So,
3: mm-hmm.
4: yeah, it's a very it's, it's an important role. I think my biggest regret about the process is that I'm not necessarily quick about those kinds of thoughts. <laughs> and more often than not, I have an epiphany about how a sequence would <laughs> be after we've seen it 15 times and we're sitting in editorial with the directors. <laughs> and I say, wait a minute.
0: This is all wrong.
4: We, should we have done this instead? <laughs> and all of a sudden, the sequence that was about to get approved is going back to layout. Gotcha. <laughs> and yeah. it's all my fault.
3: Uh,
1: There's something about seeing it on a different screen, in a different room. Absolutely. It just opens up new parts of your brain. <laughs>
4: absolutely. I try yeah. to justify it, that it's, it is it is the environment, the context. Yeah. Uh, the other day, I realized sometimes it's just watching somebody else watch it. Yeah. And seeing when they go, and for the audience, I am pursing my eyebrows and looking thoughtful.
3: Yeah. <laughs> uh, so
4: they just get that expression on, your, on on their face. And you think, okay, there's something here that is bugging them. And in the back of your mind, it starts running. And yeah. thinking, what is it that we missed? What is it we missed? Oh, my gosh. And yeah.
1: So relatable. <laughs> um,
4: but it is a weird job because I'm criticizing other people's wonderful artwork. Uh, <laughs> and I'm so grateful to uh, the layout artists that tolerate me, and the layout supervisors that tolerate me, and the directors that tolerate me, uh, introducing ideas that you know they they may not actually make the film better, <laughs> but they definitely slow down the process. <laughs> um, so that that is a layout lead part of the job. Yeah.
2: Gosh. Well, I'm so glad just to hear you say that because something we've brought up many times. I just want to harp on it again. It is because I do think there's such a stigma uh, for all artists, especially animators, layout artists, everybody, that if you get notes, if something comes up, oh now you're a bad artist. <laughs> or like you didn't but that is such a natural, you know, it sounds obvious to us now, but like I cannot stress enough how much like rock star layout artists and the best animators I've ever seen Sometimes they'll show a shot and it's just not right for X, Y, and Z. It just doesn't fit in with the whole, even though the thing by itself is beautiful. Um, So I just, I wanted to call special attention to that. I love that you said that, yeah, you're critiquing beautiful stuff, but it doesn't Mm -hmm. mean it's right
4: per se. It's, yeah, it's, and I think honestly, when things get, the more beautiful things get, the... The more we're allowed to look at the tiny, 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 mm-hmm. tiny things,
3: yeah.
4: um, and again, it's 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 like we made this so beautiful, but did we tell the story, or did we just did we just make it beautiful? <laughs> and it, you know yeah, you know, yeah, you got to wonder that um, and ask that question periodically. Uh, also, to be fair, Dorian, I ask it sometimes because I don't know if the directors have changed the story since last I looked at it
5: Uh yeah and that does happen you know as we're working sometimes (laughs) it's like uh, don't work too fast you know like things are changing yeah
1: okay makes sense yeah so so
0: important for listeners to hear how much things change in the professional world because in school at least I was taught you got to lock your script do your storyboards and then yeah then you just make your movie you can't change anything and it's like not at all how it works in the real world
4: (laughs) (laughs) it'd be interesting if it did I don't I often wonder if we would make outstanding films that way or if we wouldn't i mean yeah Yeah. we'll never know (laughs) (laughs) know, (laughs) that we will probably never know um because i'm not assigned necessarily to a sequence and i'm not i my schedule is sort of wherever the meetings fall Mm. uh i will be doing something Mm -hmm. uh I also can sort of set my own workload and take on projects that I want to, that I see, that I think are important. And um, sometimes as editorial is approaching the screening, the editors or assistant editors will just send me a mail and say, hey, we've got these images from layout that were great. But animations got rough animation, which we would love to have as well. Oh,
3: okay. Uh,
4: but all the temp effects and visual interest that the layout artists had in the sequence God. really tell this part of the story, and we yeah. want to have that with the latest animation. Yeah. Can you just
3: <laughs>
4: merge them together and, and give us some pictures? Um, and you know, I like to tell the editors yes because having them again appreciate me is very handy <laughs> when i give them or when i offer up differing opinions on yeah. how shots should be uh, sure. i don't want to say give them notes cuz it sounds very dominant <laughs> but when i offer up a difference of opinion to what they have uh, which i tend to do because i can't keep my mouth shut when i when something bothers me so uh, so i'll i'll work with editorial to just sort of do kind of little fixes to get things looking right mm-hmm. uh, for a screening or if they trim a shot or if they have mm-hmm. two shots that just don't work together anymore because of cuts that were made
3: mm-hmm.
4: they might call me up and say hey can you just take a look at this transition it's just not it's mm-hmm. not working um, and I'll sort of it, kind of attack that transition knowing from working with the animators for so long mm-hmm what causes your department pain and try to avoid (laughs) things that are going to hugely mess up your, your shot for you and knowing from working through the layout department, what the greater goal of the sequence is and how we Mm -hmm. got to that point in the first place. Um, So it's kind of like a, a, like a, a, just a little special task squad of one. Is it I just, just
0: you myself. doing that? Because that, that could be for a whole sequence. It seems like a lot of...
4: Other people may do it. I don't know. But I just, I look for problems. And mm-hmm. uh, wherever I see them, I try and attack them if I have time. Mm-hmm. And because I have no set schedule to my day, other than be in the meetings where I need to find stuff out and mm-hmm. keep animators working. <laughs> uh, and um, whatever else, whatever else comes up, I just assign myself to the task that I deem most important. And I think mm-hmm. it's a freedom of my role that maybe we shouldn't put in a podcast because maybe nobody else knows that I have that. (laughs) uh, (laughs) That sounds pretty nice. (laughs) My your own schedule. (laughs) It allows me to tackle what I consider to be the most problematic things. Yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. Or sometimes the lowest hanging fruit that will have the greatest impact. Gotcha. But it's really an on-the-fly judgment of where Mm -hmm. I could be useful and sometimes it's sitting down with a piece of technology and saying, "Is this tool working well enough? Do we need to tweak it? <laughs> uh-huh. Does it
1: okay, yeah,
4: or, or to, you know, have the TDs fixed it? Is it working now?" Uh, it's it's really kind of a, a handyman sort of job, mm-hmm. and there's one more aspect of it which uh, is not a formal part of my job either, but um, it's I s as Dorian said, I stay on the movie. Pretty darn close to the end. Mm-hmm. Uh, certainly through most of layout finaling, if uh, if not even longer sometimes. Uh, and just looking at images, um, sometimes it's sometimes it's protecting again the sequence as a whole and making sure it still works, because after layout and after animation edits are still being made and changes are still being made. Sometimes it's protecting animation. Uh, a performance that I, f- I remember an animator talking about a point that they wanted to get another shot and doing a certain thing, but it's in shadow or mm. uh, mm-hmm. uh, it's just not coming through the way it was intended. Yes, Rocco
3: said, <laughs> "It's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's <laughs> that's awesome." It's just
4: uh, it's because I've I have this fortunate position of seeing the film so long along the way yeah. from from the storyboards when it's turned over to layout through the layout process and all the edits that take place there through animation um through layout finaling and through sweatbox and then into uh lighting tech check or a 2k check whichever it is called uh i i I'm, and not having any set schedule i'm in a weird position to be aware of a lot of things that are either history or uh a history of a shot or an intention of the shot that just should still be there. Yeah. Sometimes it trips me up in that the thing I'm worried about is not a story point anymore as mm. Dorian also pointed yeah. out um, I'm worrying about a thing that isn't a thing <laughs> and sometimes you know sometimes I ask the directors if if we need to do we need to do this thing or is this moment <laughs> better saved for later and they'll say no we're not doing that thing. Where, don't you watch this movie? <laughs> sure. Um, and, uh, I, I have, I, I think it's, uh, I don't know if it's a unique ability, but I have, uh, a trait where when I see things on the big screen in the theater, I can spot little things that just pop out uh, mm. sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, some of the lighters, lighting supervisors tease me about, uh, tangents.
3: <laughs> oh Yeah. <laughs>
4: and how much I get distracted by bad tangents. There was a shot in uh, Frozen 2 of Olaf spinning on the forest floor. It was a down shot, wide shot. Mm-hmm. The floor is a sea of red leaves. And we just watched it in uh, DCI, which is where we approve the final mm-hmm. frames of the, of the image before they go off to uh, post. So before they go off to final color timing. Mm-hmm. it's really our last our last hands on the film mm-hmm. lighting's been done everything's been done final rendered images and that that's in the theater and that's right. that's in the theater so we not can all see it big yeah. we play thing wow. through the shots twice with no sound so we're not distracted oh my gosh i <laughs> i just know my heart rate would be at like 240 <laughs> like that whole time <laughs> and there was a this shot uh it played through and it everyone was happy we'd gotten five shots through DCI or whatever they're clapping and. There was something in it. I didn't want to spoil the mood <laughs> of of the shots, in, in the celebration of having the shots done. But there was something in it, so I went back to my desk and I scrubbed through, and on one frame there was a spot about three pixels by three pixels oh my gosh. in the middle of the sea of red leaves that popped red. Oh, uh, just uh, weird. just a little red blip wow. in the middle of the sea of red, and. It was just that thing that caught me in that moment, so.
1: um, Did you bring it up with the?
4: I I sent the lighting soup and the the VFX soup an email just so it could be at least known. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) Um, sure. I I know I make people angry when I point out things like that and um, I I also appreciate their patience. Uh (laughs) And sometimes I know when they say, yeah, we'll look at that, they're saying, nobody's gonna know. (laughs) But wow. color timing is a place where something like that on one frame could easily just be yeah, knocked down. So totally. yeah, I true. hope I hope that works out in situations like that. So that's probably yeah. the the final eighth part of my job. God. Wow. That.
1: So wow, yeah. wow. That's awesome. <laughs> we should have you <laughs> watch my... all of our shots all the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. you already do pretty much. Yeah, you do. <laughs> I guess I do. Yeah. yeah.
4: yeah. Um, so yeah, it's it's. Uh, it's weird. And again, it's not something that anybody necessarily asked me to do. And they may not be happy that I do it, but I feel it makes me feel useful. And uh, at least it, one of our visual effects supervisors says, I would rather know that the mistake is there and be able to choose not to address it yeah. than to not know it's there. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. So hopefully I help with that project
0: feel like it's yeah. a hugely important part to have someone be able to look at that, those things. And I can speak just from being with Rocco and Daly's, you do bring up things a lot about the camera or little things. Um, and it really helps in the room to have just a quick discussion about it and the director should yeah. be like, yeah, that's right. Okay. So layout, can they update that or animation? Can you update it? So I don't know. I think it's yeah. super useful. Yeah,
4: well, I don't think it's necessarily something that's uh, specific to me either. I think it's just, it's more the fact of the nature of my role Mm -hmm. and that I talk a lot and don't have to answer. I'm not responsible Mm -hmm. for anybody's quota, I guess Mm -hmm. is a a way to Mm -hmm. say it. I never get blinded by the fact that something needs to move downstream. I probably should, (laughs) Um, but it's not necessarily a skill I've got. It's just the freedom of the role to ask these Mm -hmm. questions and- Look at things that aren't necessarily the most important thing to everybody else in the room. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. So yeah. it's, it's, it's a weird job. But to say what it is on a day to day, my day usually starts uh, with coffee before I go to work, <laughs> yes. reading every Slack and every email from the day before. Oh my Classic. gosh. Um, I cannot imagine how, just, what your Slack looks like. <laughs> <laughs> i've gotten good at skimming Uh, again with a weird job there's a lot i can ignore uh
3: Mm.
4: knowing that other people are handling it oh they've got that great they've got that that's not Mm. me that's oh nobody's answered that slack that might be something i should look (laughs) um it's so emails and slacks um early in the morning and then when i get to work uh it's looking at the schedule of meetings um Mm. If there's a workbook turnover, which is where the storyboards are turned over to layout, uh, I'll I'll go to that because it's uh, I want to get the director's intent on the sequence. Mm-hmm. I want I want to hear them issue it to layout and uh, to the other departments. Um, if there's a layout editorial session where layout is working with editorial to sort of choose the shots and find the timing and work the cut of the layout shots together. I'll try and be there so I can see how things are fitting together and what the editor's intent is for a sequence, because that's something I should preserve if Mm. I can. The editors certainly can't make it to all the meanings I can. Sure. Um, If there's a director review of layout, I'll try to get there so I can see what the directors liked Mm. about the layout, what they didn't like about the layout. Again, what they're hoping for, and what they're hoping to get out of animation to build upon the layout. Cause then when I Mm. sit with the animation team, I can carry that knowledge forward. Sure. Uh, And then if there are animation dailies, I'll certainly be in dailies where the directors are looking at the animators work and uh, hopefully approving it, (laughs) (laughs) but uh, I'll be making sure the cameras are still working. And there's that small window at the beginning of dailies where we look at Continuity for oh, two like, shots before, yeah. two shots after, mm-hmm. and maybe we see it twice, and that's the window where I have to figure out if the shot is <laughs> oh, still working. That's, yeah, um, that's
1: so funny to think about.
4: Yeah, and remember what that shot used to be if it's changed. Uh, yeah. if you could look at my notepad, so many of my notes are shot number. Is this the right camera? Question mark. Question mark. <laughs> and then the artist, the uh, animator's name, so I know who to check in with. Uh huh. And there's a lot of it that are probably sound mean when you look at them. (laughs) Should he change the camera? (laughs) (laughs) What what broke? Question mark. Question mark. And it's just go go back to your desk and look at this later and figure out why this isn't playing. What? How you remember it? Yeah. So I'll I'll
1: ask and interject quickly. Do you appreciate it if an animator caveats and says, oh, by the way, I I played around with the camera, but like, please let me know.
4: I do, I do. Good to know. Again, for me, the more information, the better. Um, And I've already told you many times on microphone and off how bad my memory is. (laughs) But um, there are certain things that stick in my head and sometimes shots are, and sometimes I remember them completely wrong. Mm. And that's why I ask myself, is this the right camera? <laughs> Before I say, did you change the damn camera again? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, uh, and I, uh, there's, a, there's a difference in the way we're working now on our films. Yeah. Uh, rather than, say, four films ago, maybe, where the directors have pushed more Shot approval onto the heads of animation mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um and the heads of animation are pushing more shot supervising onto the onto the animation supervisors mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. and uh it means a lot more decisions are happening in animation rounds yeah than than in the past they used to be all the big decisions happened in dailies, and everybody knew about them.
3: Mm. So
4: that's forced me to try and go to rounds a lot more.
3: Wow! Yeah. It sort of
4: started around. I think Big Hero Six was when I saw animation rounds was a place where I needed to be because a lot of decisions about camera were happening.
3: Yeah. Yeah.
4: And things that affected the camera uh, or the cut or the sequence mm-hmm. were happening. So. So I might go to animation rounds as well. Um. And then there are layout finaling meetings. There's layout. Layout finaling issuing, where layout finaling artists are being issued the shots after animation, um, where it's it's sometimes good for me to be there because I can talk about what the history of the shot during animation was. Mm -hmm. I can say, I know this looks wrong to you (laughs) because it looked wrong to me too, (laughs) but I asked the directors and they wanted to preserve this part of the shot which you might not see as important looking at the shot on its own mm. or even in context <laughs> of the sequence but it's a point okay. that works out someplace else yeah so there's just i can it's it's passing on this oral history of how the film came yeah. to be gotcha mm-hmm. wow and sometimes they'll ask me is this right and i'll say you know what that is something that i remember from layout that we put in there and definitely does not suit the animation that we've, the performance we've gotten back. I'm sorry I missed that as we're going through animation. If you can fix that and make sure the <laughs> animator's okay with it and it doesn't screw up their work, please do, because that is a good catch. Gotcha. Uh,
1: Interesting. Huh?
4: So there's a lot of things like that. Um, yeah. That's layout filing. Wow. And then as time allows, uh, lighting tech checks. Um okay. sweatbox is a big part of our right. process where we that's when we pass shots from layout finaling to the back half of the gotcha. pipeline, the back end. Gotcha. Which is lighting. Uh tech anim, although they've usually started by then, effects, although they've usually started by then. <laughs> and well, lighting's already started by then too, let's be honest. And <laughs> we've probably done two or three passes, but right. oh my god. Uh, sweatbox is where we say we're not gonna mess with anything related to the camera. And the character animation. Yeah. Gotcha. Uh, And supposedly the composition of the shot.
3: Mm
4: -hmm. Uh, although caveat, caveat. Sure. (laughs) Um, So I'm also in Sweatbox because that is kind of the only time you get to see the shots cut in to the sequences properly by editorial. Mm
3: -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then
4: you can see that greater continuity if you need Mm -hmm. to say, we have a shot similar to this one uh five shots before is are we double beating it did we screw something up mm. is this cut still working do these sequences butt up together correctly or did we have sequence itis because we did sequence 21 in <laughs> november of the previous year and sequence 22 in june of this year oh yeah Does the two work when we put them next to ne- right. next to each other yeah uh, things like that so that's another meeting where I like to be because camera questions come up. And again, Mm -hmm. I might be the person who's free, who has the time just to do little tweaks and attacks on that cut and make sure that they're still Mm -hmm. working. So those are the things that I can do in a day to day. And somewhere in there in five minute intervals here and there, (laughs) uh, I'm dropping by the animators desks to make sure that the cameras are working for them. If I saw something suspicious in dailies, uh, or if I've gotten an email or a Slack that the, an animator has issues with a camera, or if an animator's performance is outside of the camera, mm.
3: Mm, mm-hmm. and we haven't
4: seen it yet in dailies or rounds, it's great to get a preemptive heads up from the animator because then
3: mm-hmm.
4: they don't waste time working on a camera that's useless to them, mm-hmm. and uh, we can get it on track faster. That's gotcha. um, It's a lot of a lot of stuff like that.
0: Yeah. 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 Very little wow. time to actually tweak cameras, if, you know, with all the,
4: <laughs> the meetings. Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
3: it seems like
4: uh, I would say that as a layout artist, I'm very slow. Uh, when Dorian talked about the types of sequences that are full of action and split up between three or four artists that are intense and take a lot of work, and then the kinds that are just talking heads that could be done by one, one person, I'm the person that would love to take the talking head <laughs> <sequence laughs> okay. because I'm slow. Uh, I can I can pose, but I can't move characters that well or quickly. Uh there're so many artists that are great at that and much more imaginative than I am. I told you I was a very um traditional sort of mm-hmm. Disney animation cinematographer or animated princess film cinematographer was the shorthand I probably used. <laughs> um, so I, I you know my strength is not making really cool shots. My strength is making structured shots and keeping the continuity of the sequence and mm-hmm. and tweaking cameras. Mm-hmm. I can tweak cameras pretty quickly. So in the mm-hmm. five minutes in between meetings, or if I get a half hour break, I can just churn through
3: mm-hmm. several.
4: Uh or and I work really late.
3: Mm-hmm.
4: You know, yeah. um, when our films are in crunch, I'll I'll work a lot of hours. Mm-hmm. Um, gotcha. disgraceful amounts of hours sometimes. <laughs> yeah. But gosh. It's one thing working from home has really done that benefits me is that instead of writing a note that says, is this the right camera? And then going back to my desk whenever I have some free time and checking,
3: mm-hmm.
4: I just check. Yeah. And it's great because I can know right away and I can start to figure out what went wrong while we're still in that same meeting. And sometimes I can even bring it up in that session. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, before we lose the directors who may want to weigh in on whatever I'm about to say and when we have the animator and the supervisors and the heads of all right there yeah. so that's been that's been great but a lot of times it's just making notes running back to my desk making notes running back to my desk <laughs> just running around getting getting my steps in yeah. as, <laughs> as one might say Gosh,
2: that's I think, oh, sorry.
5: No, me. actually, um, just really quick. I think Corey Rocco brought up some really important points that, um, uh, let me just explain kind of like the positions like we have. Yeah. So the positions in layout and what their responsibilities are really quick. So, you know, in a layout department, um, you have your layout artists, which in some at DreamWorks, is known as rough layout, mm-hmm. uh, and in live action, it's known as pre-biz. Mm-hmm. So, but at Disney, it's, it's just layout. Um, and that's kind of the people who first take a stab at the the sequence. And that's where we got the boards, and we're figuring out all the stuff that we talked previously. Um, and then also, you have your supervisor. Um, so the supervisor, uh, kind of like what I was doing on Encanto, it's basically um, you have a sequence, and then I'm also supervising uh, different parts of the movie. So I'll be supervising sequence seven or 212 or something. And then in Kanto, we had two supervisors, Joaquin and myself. So we would kind of, he would have three or four sequences. I would have three or four sequences. Mm-hmm. Um, and then above us is the DP um, or the head of layout for the show. So he's kind of the guy that's overseeing everything, everything from the very rough beginnings to the very final. So like he's there just like Rocco is throughout the whole Mm -hmm. uh, sequence. And he's jumping in to also give feedback to when we're like, okay, you know, the sequence is looking good. This is kind of what I was feeling we should go for. And he will take a look at it and go, oh, okay, that's good. But there's this new note here or it's looking great. Let's show it. Mm -hmm. Um, So he's in meetings, you know, the DP is in meetings all day long, and if you saw their schedule, it's insane. I mean, it's literally from like yeah. nine a.m. to like six or seven or eight straight meetings. I mean, it's just this uh, colorful bar in Google that's just yeah. <laughs> right there. Yeah. And in between that, he'll do check-ins throughout the day for us, as supervisors, to help show him stuff and as, as artists as well, so we can get mm-hmm. feedback. Mm-hmm. And because he's in so many meetings. Um, he's able to kind of give us feedback on if things are changing, maybe a conversation they had in another meeting that we need to know about in this sequence. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you have your artists and then you have your supervisors and then you have the head DP. So those are the kind of the three areas, um, in the day to day, you know, workflow that we have. And, uh, as supervisors, you're kind of in between. So you're, it's 50% meetings and 50% work.
3: Mm-hmm.
5: Um, so it's a nice, you know, balance because you're working on your own sequence, but at the same time too, you're overlooking a couple other sequences as well, mm-hmm. you know, so. and you're kind of giving your feedback and helping them kind of, uh, mold a sequence together mm-hmm. or give them notes or anything like that. Um, as opposed to the DP, uh, it's early on he's able to help out when you're starting and no one's not really on the show yet and it's a very slow start you can work on sequences and stuff like that but then as the full show wraps and everyone comes off of the other show and comes to your show he's in meetings all day long Mm -hmm. and you know doesn't have that chance to touch the computer for the rest of the project you know so he relies on us and relies on the artist to you know get the work done so depending on the position, it could be a very different experience. And some people like that. Some people don't, you know, like um, when I was on Avengers, one of the, you know, things that I kind of realized was like, when you're souping a team, you don't get to work on any shots. They have all the fun, you know, so they're explaining (laughs) stuff to them and they're doing (laughs) stuff and you're editing it together and, you know, working with the editor and sending stuff back and forth. You don't, really get to do any of the shots Mm -hmm. so at the end of the day i always feel like i got nothing done today like i (laughs) there's nothing create i did nothing created like i got nothing done um but uh yeah so that's some people like that and some people don't you know so Mm -hmm. that's why like luckily when endgame came around i was able to kind of step down and go to a lead (laughs) and then just go okay all right i'll supervising for a little bit And, you know, that sequence is over Now I go to a lead and now I can actually work on shots. Finally, (laughs) you know, after (laughs) like almost three years, I can start working on shots. Um, And then I can kind of start working on that. And then that's where the creativity and I was like, I actually, this is feeling really nice. You know, I, I would hate to do not work on any shots for a long period of time. And, you know, now on this current film after Encanto, um, I'm back to just being an artist, you know? Mm-hmm. So I'm just like, ah, just my schedule, very few meetings, you know, <laughs> I get to work on shots all day and, <laughs> you know, the, the creativity, I get to turn that back on and actually do shot work. So it's, it's been a lot of fun, but you know, I kind of like jumping around, you know, and I, it's a weird thing. Cause I've always like, well, you know, once you stick to something, that's all you want to do. And some people go, Oh, I'm a supervisor now. So I'm, you know, that's going to be my title forever. Or, you know, I'm. Um, mm. Mm -hmm. this or that and they don't want to step down but if you're comfortable there's nothing wrong with it you can jump around and it's perfectly fine it's whatever that creative drive is and whatever you kind of feel like you want to contribute you know uh to the craft basically
0: it's probably helpful too great point oh yeah to to like do, like, to kind of bounce between as, like, an artist and supervisor in some ways? Because then you kind of know a little bit, like, what they would have to deal, like, the artist would have to deal with. I don't know if that's true or.
5: No, that's actually one of the cool things at Disney. You know, the supervisors mm-hmm. helps out on the next show. So, they come in as a regular artist and, you know, they're in there doing shots, you know, and working. Yeah. So, they don't, it's not like that, they, they kind of, it's a good refresher, I think, for them as well of just they go, Oh, this is what the artists were dealing with, or these are some of the issues they were complaining about. Mm -hmm. And so they have a better understanding of how it is, but everybody does that. So it's a good refresher on, Oh yeah. Okay. This is, this is what's going on before they, you know, jump onto the next big Mm -hmm. film, you know? And I think that's great. You know, that that helps you kind of not get uh, too comfortable or to understand the process of what's going on now because every film kind of some, there's different technologies, there's different uh, pipeline stuff that change. So it's the, the show that was last as opposed to the current show may not be exactly the same because there's new tools that came out or they replaced a few things. So it's kind of helping them, I think kind of keep up to date to that stuff as well. Yeah. seems really useful. Oh, cool.
4: Yeah, for sure. Uh, now that you've said that about the schedules, uh, the calendars, It makes me think that there's actually no part of my job that couldn't be better done, perhaps, by the person in charge, uh, be it the head of cinematography, uh, head of layout, or a layout supervisor. It's just that nobody else has time. Mm. Again, Mm -hmm. you know, if they could sit in dailies all the time like I can, they'd solve these things. If the layout artist could get a shot back from an animator... They could solve those things, but they're busy. They got real jobs. They you know, they can't sit around. So really I just fill the gaps of people who are too busy. I think right. this this is a
2: legitimate point, but perhaps said in the most humble way
3: possible, right? Now. I don't think so. But,
4: yeah. I work with talented people. You have observed that right in this room. Well, that's certainly true. But yeah. Yeah. The
2: talented people everywhere I gotta say this makes me much more nervous to whenever we talk to people to animate any shot because I'm always like, oh my God, by the time it gets to us, yeah. so many much more talented and smarter people have worked on it. and I'm like, oh, I just don't want to f this up now <laughs> you know like so it's gosh, it's just so valuable to hear and and certainly you know people to come after us too. I mean, yeah, it. I'm saying nothing of worth, other than it's just incredible these things, how incredibly collaborative they are, and everybody is really bringing their A game, um, regardless of of the department. So sorry, I'm just having a little fanboy moment about the the industry yeah, in general. Super
1: humbling to hear. Yeah, and yeah, so impressive. Yeah, for sure.
2: So we've mentioned this a couple times now, and I know you two aren't necessarily don't want to speak for you, but perhaps not experts on this because it's not your particular part of the pipeline. But could you tell us a little more about a final layout
4: that's come up a couple of times? Sure. Um, I'll talk about what we do at Disney and I know Dorian probably has some experiences from, uh, DreamWorks that he might be able to relate, but, uh, a final layout or layout finaling or Elfin, as we call it at Disney is the, the final step um, before we hand the shots off to the back end department's lighting and tech animate effects and uh, what it 's basically doing is making sure the camera's not going to change ever again, uh, mm-hmm. making sure all the assets are in the right place, uh dealing with a lot of continuity of assets mm. um, that 's the final pass on the camera, although hopefully i 've done my job well enough <laughs> to do too much. Uh-huh. But that's they do have to do a lot because I <laughs>
3: you
4: know, can't do everything. Um, it's tuning can tuning up camera shake across a sequence if oh. there are any outlying mm-hmm. shots. Oh, interesting! Uh, and a lot, a lot more than that, um, mm-hmm. just to make sure everything—not only the visual of the image, but the data moving from the front end of the pipeline mm-hmm. to the back end of the pipeline—is correct. So mm-hmm. it's it's uh, it is both artistic and hugely technical Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um and a very important Uh job
5: yeah and i think a a good part of it too is um yeah getting the final assets and you know because when we get them in layout sometimes there's a asset built but it's not finished yet um just because Mm -hmm. that's the nature of the pipeline so sometimes we're working with kind of temp assets they gave us but they're not the final or sometimes Mm -hmm. it's a uh vehicle that's not rigged you know and stuff like that Mm -hmm. so uh once it gets to the animators uh and it comes back to final layout they kind of help make sure that okay that's the real set that's going to be rendered and handed off to lighting and effects and stuff like that so they kind of do some quality control Mm -hmm. on that that's more of the technical aspect they're kind of you know and well, on top of the other stuff they do and stuff like that. It's, so it's just rechecking everything and making sure everything's up to date and keeping people posted on any changes.
0: Mm. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. So we have a listener question here, and this might be a good time to bring it up. Um, it's a question from at Dan Deal. Sorry if I said your name wrong.
4: I'm going to go with Dandy L.
0: Oh, oh. actually. That's, that's, yeah. that's that's my that guess. sounds way better. <laughs> Thank <laughs> that you, That makes sense. Yeah. Um, but what is the typical quota for layout artists or is there a typical quota for layout artists? Cause you know, in animation, it might be like, Oh, six feet a week or whatever, but is there something like that for layout? Uh,
5: kind of, it depends on the sequence. Mm. Um, I say back, it's changed over the years. So back in the day, I remember it was like, if you get one shot a day, you know, mm. you're doing your job and that slowly changed to two shots a day and then three shots. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, uh, if it's a simple sequence, uh, you know, where it's just a dialogue scene or a very kind of tender moment where there's, it's more of the acting of the characters and not so much the movement of the camera. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, you could go anywhere between, you know, two to five shots depending on how fast they are. Mm -hmm. Um, But uh, I would say, you know, on average, maybe I say two to three shots a day would be safe. Uh, If Mm -hmm. it's a big action sequence and stuff like that. And, you know, there's some complicated moves uh, maybe less than that. Um, mm-hmm. there's some shots where it's a long shot, you know, and, uh, I know in uh, Ryan, the last dragon, there was the big shot at the end where, you know, the characters were saving the village and one camera is going from one character to another character. And it's like, oh, okay. you know, a two minute long shot. Yeah. So that one, you know, that one shot could take, you know, anywhere between a few days to a week to, mm-hmm. you know, block out correctly. Cause mm-hmm. it's a very complicated thing. Um, So it depends on what the shot is. Uh, but, uh, yeah, that's probably what the shot and the sequence and the difficulty. Um, so the average numbers could vary.
4: uh, Yeah. Mm -hmm. And and the quote is a weird word to use in terms of layout. Um, because we have, we have many passes at the entire sequence. Mm -hmm. And while we're working on that whole sequence, generally as a solid chunk, um, we're also having many check-ins in between, mm. at which point more shots may be created or shots taken away. Oh, that makes sense. So, um, so I think reducing it to a shot count on an average is probably that's probably pretty accurate. Mm. But the the truth is, it's it's malleable <laughs> and yeah, um, and it's dealt with as a sequence. But we, uh, you know, we we have what we call workbook, which is our first uh, review, and that is that's really rough staging. Um, And it's very much to, it's almost more of a a check to see if the world is going to work Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. for the sequence that has to take place. We do get cameras in there that mean something. They mean things. And the characters in places that mean things. We're starting to make lens choices. All these things that we do Mm -hmm. are being done. But the big test is, you, the directors, have never seen this world. Mm. You've never seen the sequence in this world. Is mm. this kind of what you were thinking? Like, mm. is this a good interpretation of the storyboards or at least of the moments you expect to be there? Mm. As fast as we can do it, as fast as we can turn it around. Um, and that's before it goes back into editorial to ever start to be recut. So it's, it's kind of like a, a safety check. I often call it the, is this thing on? <laughs> kind of,
5: kind yeah, of Review man, that brings up a really good point because the sequence that we get from the storyboards or editorial is never the same length as the sequence that we export out. So oh, like yeah. you know, because when it comes out from our departments, you know, uh, I'm sure in animation and effects and stuff, they know the exact shot and the exact length that needed to be, and maybe they might need to add frames or something here and there. But you at least know what the shots and how many shots are going to be there. But in our case. Yeah, they'll be, depending on the artist or maybe editorial, go, hey, you know what? We need a close-up of the hand or we need a close-up of the mm-hmm. foot to give to tell this story point. And a lot of times the artist will say, okay, it was two shots, now it's five shots. Mm-hmm. Because I had to tell the story and had to do some inserts and do this to get that point across. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you have three shots and we combined all three shots into one shot. Yeah. Uh, because mm-hmm. we didn't need to jump around so much because mm-hmm. you could tell it with one shot. So a lot of that process goes in. So... Again, someone who might had five shots on their plate, now they have 10 shots on their plate. You know, someone who's got six shots, maybe now they only have four shots because they were able to combine it. So that's part of the – that's why it's really hard to nail the exact number mm-hmm. because it's part of the process as well. Yeah, sure. mm.
4: yeah, and we could have 10 shots that are all same asses and for us. Mm-hmm it's doing it once
1: (laughs) copy and paste. Um, Yeah. (laughs) That
4: might be simplifying a bit, but it's not, you know, it's not necessarily that different from that. If it's all the same Mm -hmm. shot, um, it's not like we're animating each frame. Mm -hmm. We're setting up the camera and the characters. And if they're not moving, that relationship stands for however many times we use that particular setup. So Mm -hmm. it's another reason why shot count and quota is vague, but, uh, We've turned sequences around in maybe a matter of just a few weeks on a sequence, and okay. we've turned them around in months, depending on complexity.
0: Gotcha. Yeah. Um, it sounds very similar, wow. honestly, to animation, where yeah. it's like really hard to give. Like, I don't know how long the shot's going to take, because it can depend on so many variables: yeah. character count, yep. complexity. So you guys gave a great answer on that yeah so that about wraps up part one of our day in the life of a layout artist so stay tuned for next week's episode where we talk about who or what types of people enjoy layout tips on breaking into layout helpful resources for layout artists, favorite and least favorite part of the job, and like tons more. We also have um, the results of our free t-shirt contest based on the reviews. So you won't want to miss it. Um, and we all, you know, at the Animation Happy Hour, we wish you a fantastic New Year's. Hope you've been doing well. Um, and as always, thanks for listening. Cheers and happy animating.